Hello, everyone. It is Andy Gallardo, your director of wellness at Kaiser Permanente, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Get Fit podcast series. And this one is titled COVID-19, The Fourth Wave, a conversation with Dr. Ashley Zucker, chief of the Department of Psychiatry for the San Bernardino County area for Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Zucker is a graduate from the medical school at the University of Vermont and completed her residency at Duke University. She's a core faculty member for the Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellowship and Adult Residency Programs at Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Zucker also serves on the Zero Suicide Initiative, Adolescent Depression Care Team, Collaborative Care Models for Psychiatry and Primary Care, and as a Regional Physician Ambassador for the Mental Health and Wellness at KP. She's married to a Kaiser Permanente sports medicine physician and enjoys spending time with her three children. We are really excited to have her during this crazy and uncertain time. Now, a couple of quick disclaimers. This information is not intended to replace your healthcare professional. Opinions of hosts and guests do not represent the views or opinions of Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, KFHP, Kaiser Foundation Hospitals, KFH, or Southern California Permanente Medical Group, SCPMG. Neither KFHP, KFH, or SCPMG receive any compensation for products or services mentioned on the show, nor do they endorse or promote any products mentioned. The full disclaimer can be found on our website. And with that, enjoy the show. All right, Dr. Zucker, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, we had a lot of stuff to talk about today, and I'm, I'm really excited to have you. But um, how we typically start off is I just basically say, hey, you know, for the people listening, tell us about yourself. Where'd you come from? How'd you get into your current role? And did you always want to do what you're doing? Sure. Um, so actually, I'm originally from the East Coast, born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, so not from uh, California. <laughs> um, but I um, moved out here probably about seven years ago. Um, and I joined KP uh, right off the bat. Um, so I've been with KP for about seven years. Um, in terms of what I, what I do now, um, in many ways, I always thought this is where I would be. And in many ways, I had no idea that this is where I would be. So uh, I wanted to be a physician from pretty early on in, in life um, and thought about it kind of a number of types of physician I might want to be, but always really interested in kind of the adolescent population. Oh, great. Um, always had a particular interest in eating disorders and kind of mental health and wellness and how that interplays between both, you know, physical and mental well-being. Um and so uh, during medical school, I realized that I was happiest during my psychiatry rotations. And so that kind of led me down the role of um, going into psychiatry. Um, and I did uh, a residency in adult psychiatry and then a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry. Uh, and then I also specifically focused on eating disorders as well. Um, and then I graduated and I came out to California and came to KP and I guess the rest is sort of history but um, I think you know mental health has always been something that's near and dear to my heart not just as a psychiatrist but I think as a, as a human being um, and it's particularly necessary right now and it's really great to see that stigma be reduced over time right. although it's it's really greatly still there um, and so to continue to have these conversations I think is so important um, and I think in some ways it's both um, rewarding but also terrifying to see the um the stigma decrease with covid and the impact that you know covid has had on on everyone's well-being and on, on their mental health so. well it's great and you know we'll we'll get into this a little further but as as we speak today like most of southern california is on fire so when people are like i'm from the east coast i always wonder like oh my gosh do they are they sitting here going what have i done yeah um, <laughs> Uh, I like to think, you know, every part of the world, every part of our country has some kind of natural right. disaster. So you just have to pick what you're uh, more comfortable with. So whether it's fires and earthquakes or tornadoes or, you know, nor'easter snowstorms where you're digging out of your car for hours on end, you know, you pick it. Somewhere's got something you got to deal with. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. You know, my I have two teenage boys and they've Growing up in Southern California, they were always jealous of people that had snow days back uh -huh. east in school. And then, of course, you know, not too long ago, they actually had a fire day where the school was closed because of fires. Um, so I always tell them, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you know. yeah. 
But I, uh, I went to medical school in Vermont, actually, and uh, so I'm really, really happy to never have to dig out my car ever again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where one of those car scrapers is, and nor do I care to ever find one again. So yeah, uh, once you've done it a lot of times, it gets gets old fast. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. We lived in Chicago, and we would use our credit cards yes. until one day my credit card snapped. Oh, no. I'm like, I got to find a better tool. Right. <laughs> but well, that's great. You know, so thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your background. Um, the reason I, you know, came to find you is I was fortunate enough to hear one of your presentations on on COVID and what you refer to as the fourth wave. You know, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what exactly does that mean? Have we had three waves already or what does that terminology really reflect? Sure. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely a confusing term because you hear um, lots of waves, you hear the curve, flatten the curve, right? So I think it all gets a little bit uh, kind of jumbled together in a sense. But um, this kind of concept of the first, fourth, excuse me, fourth wave um, is to kind of think about it in um, almost a broader sense. So um, the first wave is sort of thought of as COVID infections. Okay. Um, and so that's just generally speaking. It's not about, you know, are we in the first curve? Have we flattened the curve? But just sort of ongoing infections, whether it, you know, ebbs and flows or peaks and declines. But that's sort of the overall first wave. Um, the second wave is really thought of as people who have um, medical conditions that are not COVID that are fairly urgent. So particularly early on um, when we were um, really trying to navigate uh, the sort of initial hit of COVID, a lot of people with those more urgent conditions were still afraid to come into the hospital and, and still are now to right. a degree, but certainly to a large degree back then. Um, you know, so people who might have had, um, you know, issues with um, potentially having a heart attack or something like that, there was concerns that those people were not coming in and getting the care that they needed for those acute issues. Um, and so that was sort of thought of as the second wave. And we kind of saw there was a, you know, a decrease in patients coming into the hospital for those issues. And then that started, started to peak again um, as, you know, you can only hold off for so long for a lot of those acute things. Um, and then the third wave is kind of thought of as folks who have more of kind of the ongoing chronic conditions or the preventative care that we do in medicine and particularly at KP. So, you know, people who have diabetes or um, high blood pressure or things like that um, who were not going to their regular doctor's appointments and so kind of delaying some of that necessary kind of ongoing care. Um, so not necessarily acute, but really still needing, you know, medical treatment or medical supervision. Um, and so then the fourth wave is kind of thought of as sort of the mental health wave um, and the mental health impact, the economic impact that COVID has just had on everyone as a whole. Um, and so these waves don't necessarily happen one at a time. They right. kind of all overlap and are sort of jumbled together. Um, but it's sort of thinking of the different layers of kind of the medical care or the medical needs that are happening, you know, across our, our country or across our world right now. Okay. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking on my, my drive over here to meet you. Um, when I first heard you speak, I want to say it was probably around maybe April or May. Um, and since then, you know, in addition to the pandemic, we've had wildfires, we've had civil unrest, we have a presidential election coming up. Um, and I was kind of wondering, is that the fifth wave? I mean, you know, there's so, it's yeah. just, it seems like the waves just keep coming and coming and coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think there's sort of a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, right. on, ongoing waves. And, you know, people kind of joke about, oh, 2020 and what's on your 2020 bingo card and did you have X, Y, and Z? And, um, you know, I think that a lot of these um, stressors happen year after year, but the impact they have on us this year is just so much greater because our baseline stress uh, being in the midst of a pandemic is just that much higher. Right. So every additional thing just seems that much worse. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't deal with an election every year, so that's not necessarily there all the time. But, um, you know, wildfires happen every year. We have a fire season, so to speak. But, you know, what does that look like in the context of, you know, you have to evacuate, but how do you have an evacuation center if you've got a pandemic at the same time? And right. so I think it just becomes so much more complicated. Um, and all of those stressors at once just, I think, really snowball and kind of pile down on us and, and really, you know, uh, beat on us constantly in a sense. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for lack of a better description, um, there's a lot of people really freaking out. I mean, I I can't think of a, a better term, unfortunately. And I think, you know, we have the ability to deal with one or two things, but now we're talking like three, four, and five things right. all at the same time. Yeah. And it literally is just makes your head explode. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, what, um, in your training and in your, you know, your schooling, um, what, what is there to learn from past events in relation to its effect on mental health, you know, past, um, you know, uh, events in history? Sure. Um, you know, so I've looked at some of the um, information that we have on past sort of outbreaks, um, but nothing is really comparable to what we're dealing with now. So I think that's important to kind of keep in, in mind or keep in context. So, you know, we've had outbreaks with um, SARS or with Ebola or, you know, various other conditions. And so we've been able to kind of study the impact that those have had on, on people and on their, their mental health. Um, and there's definitely some long-term impacts that, that um, outbreaks like that can have. Um, one of the kind of key features, which unfortunately is a little unnerving, is that the longer people feel like they're at risk um, or the longer they feel like they're sort of under stress or under pressure from, um, from those previous outbreaks, um, sort of the, um, the more difficult it becomes or the more ongoing some of those um, risk factors are or some of those outcomes can be. Uh, and so um, I'd love to just provide you with positive information, but um, in some ways I think that um, that really worries me because this is such an ongoing incident. Um, nothing uh, that we have to look back on has impacted us uh, so globally, um, but also for such an extended period of, of time um, and impacted so many people at once. Um, And so I think if we look at at sort of what we've learned from past events, that uh, also is I think where that concept of that fourth wave comes from. We know that there's going to be and already is an impact on, you know, people's mental health and on their their well-being because of of what we know from other incidents. Um, And as you mentioned before, just having, I mean, one being in the... um, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic is one thing, but then it's, you know, one thing after another, um, which has really impacted us, uh, you know, whether it's throughout the country or, or even worldwide. And, you know, some of the civil unrest and social justice is not unique to just the United States. Right. Um, and so I think that those are important things to kind of keep in mind that we, I don't know that we have a huge or a great comparison to, um, how that impacts us when it impacts the entire world. Right. And, you know, and I'm glad you said, you know, that I wish I had more positive news because I I would imagine your job is really difficult right now. Um, You know, to a much lesser degree, I'll I'll just share with you as a personal trainer, a lot of people kind of come to me and are like, you know, fix me, like do, you know, do something quick. And there's no quick fix for this. And we really just don't know. I mean, has your job gotten harder, so to speak, I I can imagine. And it's probably all virtual at this point, correct? Yeah. Um, Yes and no. I think uh, treating mental health always has that aspect of there is no quick fix. Um, Many mental health conditions there isn't really a cure for. um, But in some ways, I think that helps uh, prepare me and other mental health providers for and professionals for how to kind of deal in this sort of context is that it's not necessarily about fixing it or about um, getting rid of the problem or the stressor, but how do we navigate and how do we cope with what we're managing right now? Um, Certainly none of us have had to manage this before, so that's definitely a big uh, hurdle to overcome. Um, But at the same time, I think that's just how we're sort of trained to conceptualize things in in mental health is how do I give you the best tools and strategies and, um, and, you know, various uh, treatments or programs or resources to, to navigate what what we're all trying to navigate right now. Um, I think what is so hard too is that, uh, you know, th- we don't have a definitive endpoint right, right. now. Right. Um, and I think that's incredibly challenging for all of us, it, especially when, you know, when all this kind of first started, it was, oh, we're going to socially distance for two weeks. Oh, we're going to do it for a couple of months. And now it's sort of maybe next year, maybe the year after. I mean, it kind of has become just this longer and longer time frame, and, um, and I think that makes it particularly 
challenging as well. Um, and I think, just to comment on the virtual piece, I think that's a challenge across the board. You know, we as people are very, very social. Right. Um, and so to lose that um, physical connection with each other, uh, I think, has a huge impact. Um, and that goes beyond just, you know, mental health treatment, um, but just our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, I think we're fortunate in mental health that we can still provide uh, a fairly large amount of our services virtually, whether it's by phone or by video, um, but nothing really completely takes the place of, you know, right. in-person, human-to-human interaction. Um, so that's definitely, I think, a challenge for everybody. Yeah, it's been um, it's been really interesting as a uh, as a regional employee for Kaiser Permanente. A lot of us have been asked to go out to the medical centers and to help provide some support to the staff. Um, because of them experiencing some, some fatigue and, and stress. And, um, you know, having been out there amongst the frontline staff, I mean, do you, do you feel like the experience is a little different for healthcare workers? I mean, obviously they're in contact with this so much more at a closer level. Are you seeing some differences or concerns in that area? Um, yes and, and no. I think, um, you know, when I think of what we've been through as, as healthcare workers, I think a lot of people think, oh, you're well equipped and you're well prepared. Right. You're used to deal, dealing with medical issues or mental health issues or sick patients. Um, but even with all of our training and our background, none of us have really um, been trained to deal with a ongoing pandemic. Um, and just like, you know, you've been pulled to do other tasks than your sort of regular job. Um, so have the rest of the, you know, healthcare workforce. Um, so, you know, we have, for example, have had some of our psychiatrists uh, working on the inpatient medical floors, supporting the medical teams um, to help um, combat just some of the volume of patients, right. but also some of their own fatigue and to, you know, help them have a little bit of a bigger team than maybe they've traditionally um, needed. Um, and so I think that's in many ways, it's a great sort of we're all coming together and we're all uh, working together and on the same team and leaning in on each other. Um, but at the same time, as individuals, it puts us in a position we've never been in before. Uh, and so that can be both satisfying and terrifying yeah. <laughs> at the same time. So yeah. I think that's something that maybe people sort of outside of healthcare don't quite recognize that um, we're still being asked to do things that we're not comfortable with either. Right. No, I think that's that's an incredible point you bring up. I think there's this assumption that you're trained for all of this and you can handle all this. And the reality is they're just human beings like everyone else mm -hmm. and they have feelings and emotions and and levels of fatigue. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think the general public just assumes like, oh, what's the problem? You went to school for this and you're trained for this. But um, to your point, you know. There was a time where we thought, oh, two, we're going to stay home for two weeks and, you know, I can handle that. Um, but, you know, kind of kind of along those lines, you brought up, you know, the fact that we are social and we need to be together. I think one of the hardest hit populations is our children mm -hmm. right now. Um, not only the, you know, the poor grade schoolers who can barely sit still, but, you know, our teens that are would be normally discovering dating and driving and all of these things that have been taken away from them. And one of the interesting things that, that my boys have gone through right now is they're both athletes. So one of their biggest outlets has always been not only the physicalness of the sport, but the camaraderie of their teammates right. that has been taken away. But one of the things that is actually causing some trouble in sports right now are the parents, because there are some sports that have started to slowly get back into it. But so many of the parents come to watch the practices <laughs> and then they see their friends and they start socializing. And the next thing you know, everyone's in trouble because they're not following protocols and guidelines and they've ruined that practice for the kid. Sure. Um, you know, and we've had things that have been scheduled and taken away, which is just even, you know, can you imagine you're looking forward to that? Mm -hmm. um, are you, you know, what are you seeing with our kids and, you know, do you have anything that we can maybe share with them to help out a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think this is so hard for everybody, but you're right. Our, our kids in particular um, are really just struggling in a, in a 
kind of different way. Um, I think it's a little bit easier, and I say a little bit because it's not nothing. Nothing right now is easy, right, but I think right. it's a little bit easier for us as adults to kind of say, okay, this is temporary. This is not for forever, and we'll get through this at some point. It'll all be uh, over, <laughs> um, and go back to some semblance of, of normal. Um, but for kids in particular, it's almost. Um, I always almost think of their time frame as almost like this sounds like a bad comparison, but like the life of a dog, right? So a year to a, a child is a huge amount of time um, and so, so significant versus for us as an adult, we're like, oh, I can do this for a year. It's not a big deal. Um, and so I think that's one thing to kind of keep in, in context is that the longer this goes on for the more impactful that is on, on children than even on adults. Um, and I see each kind of aged grouping has their own challenges uh, with this. So um, I have younger kids um, and I, I have grade schoolers and I have a, um, a four-year-old and I see my four-year-old probably struggling the most, right. um, which you may not expect in some ways because he can't quite conceptualize what's happening, um, although he knows that there's this, he calls it the sickness, mm -hmm. um, is out there and he keeps asking, when does the sickness go away? Mm -hmm. um, but he's lost that sort of social connection for, right. for kids his age and, you know, he can't uh, go entertain himself with a book or, right. <laughs> um, you know, so there's the, those challenges in that age range. Then there's the grade schoolers who are being forced to sit in front of a computer all day and, and try to get an education. And, you know, I see in my grade school children that they, they both love school, but right now they're telling me, ugh, I really don't like school anymore. And that's heartbreaking to, to hear because we all want our children to love school and love right. getting an education. And, and, you know, even the conversation I have with them is, well, I don't think you don't like school. I think you miss some of the best parts of school right, right now. And that's really being together and with other people. Um, and then I think that's huge for our adolescent population. I mean, that's the time of your life where your social life is the most um, important part of your development. Um, and so to not have that is uh, devastating in many ways. Um, and I think one of the, um, I don't think I'll ever forget this conversation. It was with a patient back in um, in the spring, uh, and they were an, a student athlete. Uh, they were a senior, uh, and so they had um, lost out on sort of all of their senior activities, um, lost out on graduation, um, but also lost out on kind of those final tournaments of their kind of high school career, um, and they were devastated. And um, and I, it was heartbreaking to talk to them about that um, because I also had to sort of accept, even though I know I do this all the time, but I had to accept that I couldn't fix it and yeah. I couldn't change it and none of us could. Um, and so all I could say was, you're right, that's horrible. And I'm so, so sorry. Um, and I think that's really important. We have to acknowledge how difficult this is um, and that we can't fix it and that it's okay to feel bad, it's okay to be upset, it's okay to to cry, um, it's okay to feel, you know, depressed sometimes about yeah. this. You know, in many ways it's a, um, we're, you know, essentially going through a grieving process. You know, we've lost our sort of sense of uh, normalcy. Uh, we've lost some of these sort of critical events in our lives, whether it's, you know, sporting events or graduations or proms or weddings or, or even funerals, you know, that's all been, been taken away from us. So um, that's incredibly challenging and we shouldn't pretend that it's not. Um, and I think that that's so important for our kids to be aware of that it doesn't make it better and it doesn't yeah. fix it. But just to say, you know, yeah, this is really, really hard and I, I can't imagine what you're what you're dealing with. Um, but I think on the kind of positive end of that is what you are sort of referring to is that um, even though parents may not be following the guidelines, that there are guidelines. And if we do follow them and we follow them safely, there are a lot of things that we can do. And it may not be exactly the same like it was, um, but you know, there's a lot that is still available to us if we all kind of do our part um, to protect ourselves and to protect each other. And so I think that, that that's really important. And, and we can role model that for our, for our children. Um, but I also think it brings 
kind of another point that I think is really important in the context of everything we're, we're dealing with right now is that so much is out of our control yeah. that it really does help to focus on what is in my control. So it's in my control to wash my hands. You know, it's in my control to wear a mask. It's in my control if I go to a sporting event that, you know, I stay six feet away from people when I'm talking to them. So I can still socialize with them, but safely. Um, and to really focus on what can I do um, and how can I help my kids through this as well and help them recognize some of the things that they do have control over? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, very, uh, very similar situation. My older son is, uh, he's a track, um, he runs track and cross country. And the most important time for college is your junior track season and your mm -hmm. fall cross country season, right. both of which were taken away from him. And so I've tried to tell him, you know, because he, he doesn't have times or, or like a resume to share with coaches. I'm like, well, you need to start writing him letters and telling him what a great kid you are mm -hmm. because that's what you can do. And, you know, I have seen some really creative things that kids are doing um, to, to make up for it. But I just I feel for them. You know, I watched a drive through high school graduation and yeah. I just started crying like I. But, you know, the, I think what was really nice is these kids are resilient and I saw the love that their teachers had for them and I saw them smiling and making the most of it. And um, I have to hope they're going to get through this and in, in be stronger than, than they would have without it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You've seen some really pretty incredible things that people have come up with new ways to celebrate, right? So even though the drive through graduation was hard to watch and made you cry, they came up with something, right? right? And so they, there was still a way to, um, you know, to have that experience or, um, you know, you see people doing all kinds of crazy things for weddings and, um, and just getting really, really creative in a way that they otherwise never would have. Um, and I think, you know, our, our children are probably some of the most creative people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they've really been able to, um, you know, to capitalize on their creativity and, and really, um, come up with things that maybe never would have happened before. Um, and so I think focusing on some of those positives is, is really important too. Yeah. I think one of the, you know, interesting things that's happening is, uh, pre COVID I was very much, um, not in favor of social media and all, you know, I, I wanted my kids to be active and out and about, but now I kind of like, now I see the benefit of them being able to connect with their friends in the only way that they can. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's funny how we just have to make some adjustments. Yeah you yeah. know, to let them reach one another. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, you know, as a, a child psychiatrist, I was always talking to parents and patients about reducing their screen time and, you know, being careful and staying off of social media. You always still have to be careful. I don't want to ever <laughs> undo that statement. But, um, you know, I think having a little bit more flexibility and sort of um, giving ourselves some, some grace as parents with, you know, letting our kids spend a little bit more time on the screen or if that is the way that they're connecting with each other, you know, allowing them to do so, but, you know, ensuring they're doing it in a, in a safe manner. Um, but, you know, I think there are some really great benefits to the fact that we have those virtual capabilities. Um, you know, if we had to go through this 100, 200 years ago, yeah. uh, you know, there would be no way to connect with one another. So... I think in many ways we're we're lucky to have those virtual options and we should use them. Yeah. You know? So, you know, kind of along those lines of social media, um, should we be watching the news right now? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I always go back to everything in moderation, but I think it also depends on the person. Um, and so some people can watch the news and not really be impacted by it, but some people can watch the news and be greatly affected by it. Um, and so I think we have to be aware of what, what watching the news does to each of us um, and to know when it's time to turn it off. Um, I think for the mo most people, and I really can't think of anybody who could just watch the news 24-7 and, and just be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's just so much going on in the world and so much conflict and so many different things that we're all you know struggling with that I think it's important to take breaks from the news. Um, I don't think any of us are designed to absorb that kind of 24-hour news cycle. Um, and so 
especially because you know the news capitalizes on on negative events right? right that's how they sell news stories for better or for worse and um and so i think it's also important to look for the good things um and so you can use the news and you can use social media and you know the internet to find positive stories too good point yeah so um you know i think there are some ways to kind of look a little bit differently at it. Um, but I do think in, in many instances, it's time to kind of turn off the TV, turn off the computer, um, you know, find a, a hobby that you like to do or a book that you like to read or something that has nothing to do with current events um, and just uh, step away for a minute. I think that's important for all of us. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've, um, yeah, I've, been making um cornhole boards uh-huh. you know and my <laughs> wife just laughs at me was like how many sets are you gonna make right. you know they're all stacked up in the garage i'm like it keeps my mind off of of this and i did you know i did make the mistake of at the very beginning of the civil unrest um gosh i can't remember started in minnesota right mm-hmm. um like watching four or five hours of news and it really messed me up because it started on a friday and for the rest of the weekend, I just could not get myself back together. So yeah, I definitely see your point of those, those micro doses. Um, what about sleep? You know, I, 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 myself, and I'm sure many others like pop up in the middle of the night and cannot get back to sleep for the life of me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kind of tips and tricks to get us a little better rested. Sure. So, uh, you know, sleep is kind of the foundational piece of our well-being, um, both physically and, and mentally. And um, and that was true pre-COVID. So um, I think if we focus on nothing else, focusing on sleep is one of the most important things. Um, so just some kind of general sleep tips, I think, still apply right now, um, which is to really have, you know, a similar bedtime and wake time every day um, and just maintaining a schedule. That's incredible incredibly important. Um, you know, we just talked about the news and social media. Right. So one huge thing is to, um, is to turn off all of the screens really at least an hour before you go to bed. Um, a lot of people, um, know this, but the, uh, screens kind of emit this light that basically signals to our brain that it's daytime. Um, and so even though you might think, oh, it doesn't bother my sleep at all, it doesn't stop what it's kind of doing inside of your brain and telling it, Hey, stay awake, stay awake. It's daytime. It's daytime. Um, and so giving your eyes and your brain a break from those screens can be critical for helping you, um, to fall asleep. Um, also, if you're listening to that kind of intensive information or that, you know, especially if it's negative information, that's just going to raise your sort of stress levels and your anxiety, which is going to make your brain kind of spin and make it that much harder to sleep as well. Um, so I think, you know, turning that stuff off is, is really, really critical. Um, there's a lot of great sleep resources out there. Um, so, uh, if you go to kp.org, you can find a whole bunch of things, but there's, um, you know, two apps we have in particular, Calm and MyStrength, um, which both have some great sleeping resources. So, um, Calm does a lot more focus on like meditation and, and mindfulness, which can be really, really helpful for sleep. So I know it seems counterintuitive. I just told you to turn off the screen and now I'm telling you to download an app, but (laughs) you can kind of set it and put it down and it's not like you're watching something it's more of a auditory type of thing um and then my strength actually has some like exercises and things that'll kind of walk you through um you know doing things like keeping a sleep log or a sleep journal can be helpful and those apps will kind of guide you through some of those things as well so there's a lot out there um to really help us with that that piece of our well-being which is really really critical no those are those are great and i think uh you know the easiest thing into your point, none of this is easy, but right. keeping to that schedule, um, so you can kind of trigger to yourself and you know, now's the time to get some rest, um, mm-hmm. is really important. You know, as a trainer, I've been preaching the benefits of exercise since I got my certification, sure. <laughs> but it feels like now it's just become even more super critical. And I, you know, one of the difficulties that we're all going through is, you know, I tell people at minimum, just get out and walk. And mm-hmm. of course our air quality has been really bad for, the last couple of months, but, um, 
Are, have you, do you see some success with some of your patients that are able to maybe increase or add some exercise to their daily routines? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of literature out there to support, you know, the benefits of exercise on your mental health um, and, you know, reducing depression and anxiety. Um, so uh, it's definitely something I think is, is critical for all of us. But I think the most important point is that you don't have to go out there and run a marathon, right? right? So any movement counts, whether it's walking and it can be in short increments too. So um, if you're stuck inside because of the air quality, even just, you know, taking a walk around the building or a walk around your house, or, you know, if you can go up and down your stairs a couple of times, you know, that can, can make a difference. So um, just getting our heart rate up a little bit can be, be huge and can really help kind of process and and release some of those stress hormones that are are building up in all of us right now so i do think exercise is a is really critical um you know across the board but even more so so now and i think also now because we're um like if we're working from home or we're um you know we're stuck in the office all day we're not doing the same movement like we usually do uh, and so making sure you you know set a reminder to take a break or to get up and walk for a few minutes can be really really critical because because everything is virtual we tend to just like log into the computer in the morning and we just sit there and stare at it all day long i've definitely been guilty of that myself um, and so making sure that we kind of take that time to uh, be intentional about our movement is even more important now than i think it really ever has been no that's you know that's a really good point i think uh for those folks that have been um sent home to work or working in an office um we go from back to back to back meetings and, you know, at least in the office, you can get up and get coffee or go out for right. lunch or, you know, those things are gone. And to your point before, you, you know, you look at your watch and it's five, six o'clock and you haven't moved from the chair. Yep. Um, that's where, you know, I, I think getting out for that movement and, um, you know, I, I've, there's obviously a lot of research out there and I know just anecdotally when I'm going through a tough time or a difficult decision, if I can go for a walk mm -hmm. and in particular walk with somebody like my spouse and kind of talk through it, it seems to kind of just yeah. alleviate the pressure a little bit. Um, but yeah, into your point, you know, I think people mistake like, well, I can't go to the gym. I can't do this. Or that. I'm like, you know, do 10 pushups. Mm-hmm. You know, get your heart rate up, clear your mind for just a few seconds. Right. Um, so, um, you know, so where where do you think we're at right now? Are the the COVID you know common concerns are, are obviously still there? I mean, we we need to do the right things. We need to wear a mask. We need to, um, you know, do social distancing and follow all the guidelines. Have has anything new developed over the last couple months that you're seeing we should be aware of or look out for? Or are we still kind of following the same principles? Um, I mean, I think the, the general guidelines are the same. Um, I think we've seen just more and more support of um, the importance of those guidelines. So I think there's more and more um, evidence to support that even just wearing a mask can be hugely um, beneficial in terms of prevention. Um, you know, most of the sort of outbreaks that we're seeing um, are when people are really relaxing with those guidelines. So social events, um, you know, I think there was recently a, a, a wedding in Maine where like mm -hmm. half of the guests got infected and right. a certain percentage of them, I think, actually passed away, which is terrifying. But it's those sort of incidents where you're less likely to be wearing a mask and to be staying that six feet apart and, you know, maybe intermingling and not washing your hands before touching other things. Um, so I think there's just more and more support for that. So it's not a new guideline, but right. I think it's really sort of um, proven itself as time has, has played out. Um, so I think that's really critical. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I actually don't like the term social distancing Correct. <laughs> because right. Definitely. we shouldn't socially distance, right. we should physically distance. Um, and we really should be, uh, working on our social connections. Um, and so I, if I had to throw something else into those guidelines, it would be to just make sure that we're checking in on each other. And, you know, there isn't, I really don't believe that there's anyone out there that is 100% okay right now. I think we're all struggling in some capacity, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and so to, I think, recognize that in each other and, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Are you struggling? Or 
um, you know, I noticed that this is really difficult for me. What have you noticed is difficult for you? Um, I think that's really important that, you know, as human beings, we support each other through this. Um, so that would be my, I guess, my fourth guideline. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've definitely noticed uh, a common theme, you know, pre-COVID, you ask somebody how they're doing, you're going to get a couple of short, quick answers. Right. Oh, I'm fine. Good. You know, right. now <laughs> you better be prepared for a pretty long answer. And I think it's really important that you listen because people need to talk. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that in the medical center and I've noticed that in my neighborhood. Yep. You know, I've stopped to say hello, which to someone that's typically would normally be a 10 minute conversation just turned into an hour. Right. <laughs> you know, and you can't break away. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's, it's really important um, for people to talk. And I think that's probably what worries me the most is, you know, talking face to face versus social, you know, versus uh, on your phone or something um, is a little different Mm -hmm. and you know people people really need to talk yeah no they definitely do so well good um what uh what what do you think is kind of the you know I kind of mentioned people freaking out and um you know I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety there's probably even some probably panic attacks and different things happening what's the time to really kind of where you need to talk to your friend versus you really need to seek help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly important question um, because you're right, we're all freaking out. We all have some level of anxiety, probably some level of depression, um, but that doesn't always mean that you need to seek professional help. Um, But I think of, you know, to me, sort of the biggest kind of uh, piece to keep in mind as to when to really reach out is when it it really starts to interfere with your um, your work or your relationships. Um, And so, yeah, I'm a little bit stressed or, yeah, I'm a little bit, you know, quicker to get frustrated or I'm a little bit more irritable that in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean you have a a diagnosis or that you need professional help but I'm really struggling to make it through the day at work Um, I'm really struggling to engage with with my family Um, I can't get out of bed in the morning Um, you know those kind of things where we're really not able to um, to move through our day and through our lives even if it's difficult um, are some really key pieces and then, of course, you know, if, if anyone's ever having thoughts about wanting to hurt themselves, then that's, of course, a time when people should really be immediately seeking help. So, you know, one of the, the things I've always struggled with is what do you do if you suspect somebody's really struggling? You know, do you try to talk to them directly? And if you really what if you're not really convinced of their answers you know, what are some options if you're, whether it's a friend or a family member or a coworker that you're kind of worried about? Sure. Um, I mean, I think it's always okay to ask. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask each other if we're okay. Um, and, you know, asking someone, are you okay or are you struggling is not going to all of a sudden cause them to start to struggle. Okay. And so I think that's important to recognize. We almost are afraid we'll sort of put the idea in somebody's head. Right. Um, and that's really not the case. Um, you know, I always think of also the, the kind of phrase, like, if you don't ask, you don't know. Right. Um, and so if you, if nobody, also, if you're the person struggling and no one asks you, you may never tell. Um, but if somebody asks you, you might be like, oh yeah, no one's asked me that before. I really am having a hard time. Um, and so I think the first sort of recommendation is just, you know, like we were talking about before, just check in with people, you know, Hey, are you okay? Um, I think it's also can be really helpful to, uh, kind of talk about yourself first in a sense. Um, you know, you know, oh, I just couldn't sleep last night. It was so difficult. I was tossing and turning and I just couldn't shut my brain off. Are you sleeping? Okay. You know, I think it sort of normalizes the, um, the difficulties that somebody might be having. Um, and some people may not open up and they may not be willing to share. Um, but I think sometimes we can even share some suggestions in sort of the sense of, uh, you know, I tried this and it was really helpful or, Hey, have you seen this really great new app that's out there? Or, um, you know, I did this exercise the other day and it was so great. Or I did 10 jumping jacks and wow, that really made me feel better. Um, I think even just kind of planting those seeds in each other's brains can be helpful. Uh, They may walk away from the conversation and you think they didn't take anything from it, but you never know. Maybe tomorrow they try and do those jumping jacks and that helps them. Um, 
So I also think just, uh, you know, I always, especially as a child psychiatrist, I always really stress this this point for, for parents. Um, but I think it's true whether it's parent to child or grown up to grown up, um, is that we have to role model for each other. Um, and so do you able to say, you know, I was really struggling and I asked somebody for help or I went online and I saw, sought out a resource or I sought out a tool or I picked up the phone and I, I called this support line or I called this crisis line and it was really helpful for me, uh, I think can also just normalize getting help and seeking help. Um, and that can be be really huge, too. Yeah. And, you know, I actually you made me think of something that I um, skipped over and I didn't mean to. You know, we talked about the um, kind of the professionalism of the medical community and how it's just expected that they're able to deal with all this. I, I'm guessing one of the difficulties with especially like physicians and, and nurses and, and the medical communities, if they reach out for help, they're kind of might be afraid that they're cons- it's a sign of weakness and maybe their boss won't promote them or some of that effect. Do you think that's happening or a kind of a realistic concern? Uh, I definitely think it's a realistic concern. I think it's a real concern. Um, I think, you know, as I don't think this is necessarily just true of healthcare workers, but we definitely see it more as we're in the helping profession. Right. We're supposed to help others. Right. We're not supposed to need help ourselves. Um, and so when when we're in a situation where we need help ourselves, we're one really bad at recognizing that we even need the help. Um, but then we're even worse at going and, and seeking out the help or even admitting that we that we need the help. Um, you know, we're sort of rewarded for being selfless and for dedicating our lives to the care of others and putting other people ahead of ourselves. Um, and so that's kind of drilled into our brains, you know, throughout our, our education and our training. Um, and that's really unfortunate because, um, you know, it's that old saying on the airplane, right? You can't help somebody else right. until you help yourself. You got to put your oxygen on first um, before you put it on some, you know, help somebody else with their mask because if you're passed out, you can't help anybody. Uh, and the same really applies, you know, with any kind of concept you're talking about is that if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be in a place or uh, in a position where you're going to be able to help somebody else. Um, so I think that's really a key concept that we have to keep in mind and really reiterate over and over again um, to each other as healthcare workers because we're so bad at that. <laughs> um, there's definitely a fear of if I seek help, I will look weak um, or maybe it's going to impact my career in some ways. Um, and, you know, in my brain, seeking help is a strength. Um, and it takes a really strong person to recognize I need help and I'm going to go get it. Um, so I don't think of it as a weakness at all. And I don't think anybody else should think of it as a yeah. weakness because it's it's hard. It's hard right. to, to say I'm not OK. Right. But um, but we need to get get better at that. Uh, and I think that some of that, you know, role modeling that I think is key is that if we as healthcare providers can talk to each other about how. I'm struggling or I got help, then that makes it okay for the the next person um, and really to continue to reduce that stigma in the healthcare world um, for being able to to seek and receive help is really, really critical. I think we're getting better at it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I still think we have a really long, long way to go for sure. Yeah. You know, I do hope that one of the things that comes out of all of this is moving forward that we all do a better job of just checking in on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're so used to our habits and routines and, you know, we walk by somebody every day without really saying hi to them or asking how they're doing. Um, so I do hope that changes because I know I'm making a better effort to get to know people and, and um, you know, try to make sure if there's anything I can help them with. But, um, but yeah, I think that's the, the reality is, um, there's a lot of people that if you just prompt them, maybe we could get them to talk. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. So. I think, you know, something else that if is a positive sort of coming out of all of this is that we all have a shared experience. And so that connects us at a, at a different level or a, a deeper level that maybe, you know, we didn't have before. And so no matter who we are or where we're from or what we've been through, we're now all connected by living through a pandemic. Um, and so if you have nothing else to connect on or nothing else to talk about, <laughs> you can talk about yeah. about that. And so that really, 
um, you know, I like to think or I like to hope in many ways will bring us together as just human beings who've all been through and, and hopefully, you know, come out better on the other end of, of this really challenging and difficult experience. Yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, sharing a little bit about your own personal experience first, because I think for so many people, and this has always been kind of a funny thing for me, like if you're suffering in in some way and then you hear someone else's as well, it somehow alleviates it mm-hmm. on you. And it's like, I don't wish for other people to suffer too, but I think just hearing from other people like, oh, you feel that way too? Yep. That can kind of sometimes make you relax and, and calm down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to recognize you're not the only one. Yeah. Um, and no one is the only one, especially right now. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important to just recognize, okay, there's other people that are that are dealing with this also. Um, and that's a huge benefit in just terms of mental health treatment in general is to recognize that you're not, not alone. Um, and that's some of, you know, the greatest impact that um, support groups and treatment groups can have is to recognize that there are other people just, just like you. And so in many ways, if we can all just be one giant COVID support group, <laughs> you know, we can help to, to recognize that in each other. Great. Well, um, thanks so much for your time. You know, I definitely want to wrap up with uh, trying to leave the folks with some some resources. So I know for those folks that are listening, if you um, are a member or a physician employee of Kaiser Permanente, we have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go to kp.org. You could talk to your local EAP. Um, you can schedule an appointment with your primary care. Um, is there any resources outside of KP we should mention um, for folks to go to if they might be seeking some additional information? Um, yeah, there. I mean, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, you can go to some of the general websites, even like the CDC or the WHO. There are some mental health specific things okay, on great. those resources. Um, I always like to um, mention that there are some national crisis lines. So there's the National Suicide Hotline, um, and there's also the Trevor Project, which uh, has a, a crisis line and also a texting line. Uh, Trevor Project is uh, specific for uh, the LGBTQ plus population. Um, So that's also a great resource that's available. Um, I mean, there's just so many things out there. I couldn't even begin to list them, but, (laughs) um, you know, I think even though, you know, we've talked a little bit about my strength and calm as being some apps that are available for KP members in particular, they are apps that anybody can, can buy. Um, they're just provided free to KP members. So, um, I would still really recommend those to other, um, other folks, uh, who are looking for, a um, you know, a resource that can kind of come with them in their pocket, so to speak. Right. And I'll definitely put the links in our um, show notes at the end of this podcast. But, um, you know, I just want to end by saying thank you so much for for what you do. And I know lately you've been sharing a lot of your information with a lot of folks. There's definitely a, a thirst for information related to mental health and wellness and, and you know, tips on surviving COVID. And, um, you know, to, to all of our, our physicians out there and all of our healthcare workers, a, a big thank you. And um and especially to Dr. Zucker um, for her time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and and speaking on this really important topic. Yeah, I, I hope uh, let's do this again and sure. let's hopefully there's a different topic when we do that it. That would be great. Um, and uh, <laughs> let's let's keep it up. But it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yes, you too. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Bye, everybody.